listening to the PWBA Podcast, a show about the current superstars and legends of the Professional Women's Bowling Association. Join Bowl TV's Jason Thomas and Aaron Smith as they bring you a collection of stories, history, and the latest happenings from the best women bowlers in the world. Hello, everybody, and happy Monday, and welcome to episode 25 of the PWBA podcast. My name is Aaron Smith, and joining me today for today's chat with 2012 USBC Queens champion, Deandre Espady, is the one, the only, the bowling guy, Jason Thomas. Hello. I thought you were going to introduce me as Deandre Espady. I, I thought about it first. I, I, I think that's an insult to her. <laughs> Big time. We don't want to do that. No, don't leave, not- don't leave Deandra before we even bring you on the show. <laughs> See, that's what I get for my first intro. So. Uh, but uh, JT, welcome to the PWBA podcast. It's uh, awesome for you to join us here today. So, uh, you know, we've had a week off. We had the holiday. So uh, how have things been with you? Good, sir. Pretty good. Uh, kind of a strange fourth for us. You know, we like to go watch fireworks and we just we tried to go do it this weekend. And we went in the car as a family. And my daughter, who's uh, 11, said, hey, it's been like five months since we've been in the car together. And I was like, yeah, it has. It's it's crazy. Uh, so, you know, we have uh, we're in Texas. So a lot of a uh, lot of new new regulations in Texas as far as social distancing and whatnot. So we drove around everywhere. We looked that might be a good place was was busy and nobody had masks on. So we just kind of kept driving around and we saw fireworks from our car and then just drove home. So it's, it was a little odd, but um, we were together as a family. So that's, I guess that's the most important thing, right? Certainly so. Certainly so. I actually, uh, I, I left the DFW area for a week. So I got out of it. As I mentioned, I was actually in Reno, Nevada for a little bit there. So uh, they actually had some concerns with uh, forest fires there. So they actually kind of tamed down all the 4th of July activities, along with obviously social distancing. So it was definitely a different vibe, but uh, certainly it, it was nice to to get away and do something a little bit different. And uh, but now we're, we're back to the grindstone, as they say. And, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty easy grindstone, though. It, it is. It is. This is uh, definitely one of the fun parts each and every week for us. So uh, with, with that, are you right, JT? Should we bring her in? We should. Yes. All right, folks. Here she is, Deandra. What's up? Hello. Hey, Dee. Hello. How are you doing? I'm amazing. How are you guys? Are you matching today? Are you both wearing purple? Uh, it's more of a royal blue, I think. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll call okay. it navy just to be different. So. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for having me on. Thought well, Thanks Absolutely. for coming on. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, first thing we usually like to do on the podcast is just check up, see how you've been doing. How's the family doing over in Chicago? Uh, how you guys been staying busy? Yeah, man, what a year, right? Um, 2020, one for the books. I, Our family is as healthy and happy, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I will say that um, quarantine was crazy. I mean, you know me. I think you guys have known me long enough to know that I have a lot on my plate. I have a lot of things that I do. I'm always busy. I'm always going places. I, um, I'm picking up the kids. I'm dropping them off. I'm practicing. I'm working out. I'm running my elite youth tour. I am doing so much that all of a sudden I couldn't do anything. <laughs> and in March, I was like the first couple, and I'm a, I'm a very, very much an extrovert. 
And so I like being out with people. I like my friends and Chicago is amazing. I love, I like going out in Chicago. And um, the first couple of weeks I was like, um, I, I just, I want to be around other people. I love my family. And I, and, and that was one thing. Uh oh, this is an uh oh moment. Yeah, and I'm back. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I had a question. You know, you talked about just all of your. I, I, I don't really want to jump right into the interview, but I had a I think a question that was relevant to what you just said. Yeah. When you fill out like a like an application for something, what do you put as your occupation? Ooh, that's a really good question. I will say whatever I do put, I'm like, well, that's not it. That's not <laughs> all I am. I I do typically put professional bowler. Okay. Or a coach, or um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. But um, <laughs> you know, being in this quarantine, I, the number one thing that I realize is I'm I'm very very grateful that I love my family because I loved being with them so much and every yeah. day. Thank goodness, in my case too. Right. So <laughs> for the first two weeks, I was like, "Oh man, I really want to be with other people, and I just want to go out." But then I will tell you that quarantine changed me. I all of a sudden woke up in the morning and thought, "Wow, I have no choices. <laughs> I don't have to go anywhere." I knew exactly what I was going to work on, and I worked on it every day from the time I woke up to the time, probably around 6 p.m. So I had one focus besides making sure the kids were okay in their homeschool thing that was happening. Um, but it was very weird. It's the first time in my life where I didn't have choices. And then I became, I, I don't know, I kind of liked it in, in a way because I was really able to narrow my focus on, on one thing besides my family. And, um, and, and get things done. So I would say um, for as weird as it was, um, I, I think that we all can kind of self reflect in that time and come out of it a little bit differently and hopefully better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people because they aren't commuting and doing some of the other things that they weren't doing, they have a little extra time. Uh, like for me personally, uh, one of the things I've been doing, and it kind of goes to a question we'll have later, which is what are you binge watching? But I, I, I went on this, I went on the AFI website and I saw their hundred greatest movies of all time. And I realized I had seen less than half of them Ooh. and I actually consider myself a movie buff. Okay. So uh, I've been trying to catch up on that list. I know Chad Murphy, one of the things he's been doing is he's trying to learn how to play the piano. Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. And his, his son is teaching him. So he said, that's kind of an interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, I'm, I'm curious which movie surprised you the most. I, I am so ashamed of the fact that I had only seen about 45 of the 100. Uh, but probably the best one I've seen since I, I went, uh, since I started looking, was Bridge on the River Kwai. Ooh. It was unbelievable. What an unbelievable movie. They just, you just can't make a movie like that nowadays. And just from the set pieces to uh, they have this, this giant bridge that they built for the movie, and it's just so gorgeously shot. The cinematography is amazing. Um, and, 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 you know, it stars someone from Star Wars, uh, Sir Alec Guinness. So, you know, you can't go wrong there. That's so cool. Yeah. Aaron, what have you been doing? Podcasting. <laughs> working. Uh, working. I, I think that's been the biggest thing for me because the hard, or, you know, we travel a lot work, with work. So, you know, 
I, I always thought I should be better at working at home. And I always struggled so much with that. And, you know, even when we were kind of had the regular schedule and it was going to be like, hey, I got to work on this project over the weekend. Like I would leave the house. I would actually go into the office, be the only one there just because I like the structure of it all. Uh, so obviously that changed very quickly and I had to learn how to work here. And to double it, I have to work in the same house as Matt Cannizzaro. So uh, that made it that much more fun. But, uh, you know, we really found a great balance and, you know, I, I found a way to kind of manage time better. So I really used it as a, as a learning experience just to kind of kind of get used to a different situation, which I, I kind of had to regardless. But uh, but, yeah, I think that's been kind of the biggest takeaway is just managing time a little bit differently, finding ways to, to get a little bit more stuff done, too. So, yeah, at the beginning of it all, I had I got I had this empty journal and it was blank. And so I was like, oh, you know what? never been in quarantine before. So I'm going to, I'm going to just write about it. And so, and it really with the intention of giving it to my kids one day so that they can remember this time, like, what did we do? How did we, how did, how did we live? And so I started it and actually started it right after the last P uh, PBA event where Jason won $150,000. His, the plan was that his whole family came to Chicago and that was um, that was the last day that restaurants were open. And so we celebrated his whole family, his, his wife and his kids and my kids. It was going to be so much fun to come to Chicago. So he came and I'm like, dude, all the restaurants are closing the day after you get here. We have to go at least to one. And um, so we went, we celebrated and then we spent, um, they cut, they had to cut their trip short, obviously, because they didn't want to get stuck and not be able to get back. So, but we had like three or four good days of just, having fun at home because everything that was on my list that I wanted to do with them and I thought his kids would love wasn't an option. Everything was closed. So I, after they left, I started writing in the. DeAndre, I think he's froze on us again. Yeah. It's an interesting story. So unfreeze. I'm back. <laughs> um, so after they left, I got my journal and I started then and I had no idea that it was going to be 90 days later that I would be still writing in it. And so, yeah, that's, it's going to turn into a book. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not being funny. I actually wrote a book myself and that's how it started. Oh, um, really? and, and it was, it was, yeah, it was like, I, I need to write down what I, who I am. Because I, you know, if, if my kids, if I, if something happens to me, you know, my kids will know, you know, what my life philosophy yes. was, you know, and and so I ended up. It turned into a book. I published Wait, it. Where can we get it? Uh, it's on Amazon. Ooh, yeah. what's the name called, of it? It's called "Live in the Dream." All right, I'm gonna get yeah. that so um, I can stalk you. Is it, <laughs> is it living with a G or is it an, an apostrophe? No, it's apostrophe. Nice. Yeah. It's a nice yeah. touch. I like awesome. Yeah. So I, I want my kids to know how to, how to speak colloquially, but um, yeah, that's what it was. It was like, it, it was, it was really for my kids and also for myself. So it was kind of like a blueprint. You know, if I, if I had, you know, was confused about making a decision, I would have a life philosophy that would guide me. And I've used it ever since. So. That's amazing. And I think it's so cool to be able to like, kind of go back in time with how you were thinking at that moment and what was like, were you, you know, when I was writing, I was, I was writing about how I really hope my kids remember this 2020 quarantine with all, all the positives that are around it. Cause there was so much negative and there's so much to be worried about. And I don't want them to look back on it and remember how scared they were, but I want them to remember how much love 
was in our house and how much fun we had together despite everything that was going on. And um, yeah, you, you kind of like, it's, it stops time and you, you're able to write it and then revisit it. And I think that is, yeah. And I, there are a few I, things always, I'm embarrassed about, about what, what I wrote, you know, just, there? just, yeah, just like, I, I don't, things I've changed, you know, viewpoints that have changed or, you know, positions that I've like, I, I, yeah. but that was you then the, though. Yeah. But, but the overarching thing, and I think that's, I mean, you have a really great attitude about life and, and an optimistic attitude. I really think that's something that, that, you know, people beyond just your kids would, would be interested in hearing about and reading. So anyway, I know, I know you've got a lot on your plate, but uh, that, there's one more business idea. For I do you. want to write a book. <laughs> I'd buy it. Thank you. There we go. I like it. Aaron, well, you wouldn't. It depends on what the title is. <laughs> I thought you were going to say depends on if you give it to me. Oh, Aaron, no, no, Aaron no reads, I would buy it. Aaron reads a book by its cover. His parents <laughs> never told him don't read a book by its cover. <laughs> Well, speaking of your many endeavors, obviously, uh, you know, we talked about the Elite Youth Tour and um, there's something new, a new, I, you know, I'm going to let you define it, but Beyond the Lanes, uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Of course, the Elite Youth Tour as well, but uh, I was kind of looking at your website yesterday and the Beyond the Lanes and especially the Academy portion of it looks super interesting for young players and you really are a great ambassador for youth bowling. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that, kind of where that came from. And, uh, you know, what are some of your goals with all that? Yeah, cool. Thanks. Um, so at the beginning of this year, I feel like anytime it turns to be a new year, I uh, assess what's next. What am I going to do? And I think that's normal because it's like the beginning of the new year. Not so much resolutions, but more of like um, what is next. And so the beginning of this year is about February. I was really struggling with like okay, you know, I feel like I have a lot to give. I have, I have a lot. <laughs> that was yesterday. Check that out. EYT yesterday it looked really different. We social distanced and had to have two squads and we were mad. The kids did not have to bowl in the masks, but they did have to wear them if they left the settee. But <laughs> that's funny. Um, so I was just assessing. JT, what'd you do? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just, <laughs> I have the, the, the okay. rock touch. I'm, I, I feel like I'm here to, um, to serve in, in a lot of ways. And I was just wondering at the beginning of this year, like what, what is next? And it kind of came to me that I was able to achieve world champion status, but not just because of all of the coaches and, and the work that I put in on the lanes, that was a part of it. And I, you know, it was very important part of it. But I truly believe the reason that I was able to get to a world champion status is um, the work that I put into myself beyond the lanes. And it was the self-awareness element. It was authenticity. It was goal setting. It was problem solving. It was how to be a good teammate. It was all of these things that came together that allowed me to also stand out when I was competing. And so I knew in February, I'm like, I'm going to, I, I've also thought that I've always wanted to write a book that was titled everything that I learned about life. I learned on the lanes. I, because, I would buy that book, by the way. Thanks. Okay, good. good <laughs> All of the most important lessons in life I've been taught through bowling. And so I wanted to create my own curriculum based on those stories and based on 
um, all of the lessons that I learned. And I want to be able to teach bowlers, but also I don't even think you have to be a bowler because it's really about being a good human and being a better person and reflecting um, beyond what you do in life. And so I hired a leadership psychologist to help me organize my thoughts. So I'm, this is not something I slapped together. I, I have a lot of ideas, but I wanted to make sure that I was presenting it in the right way. So I hired her and she helped me comb through all of the lessons and put it together in a curriculum and it's Beyond the Lanes. And um, actually the website went live today. It's beyondthelanes.com. And it's because um, what was there was sort of like advertising. I did a, a free masterclass that will eventually be on this site. I still need to, to transfer it. Um, and then I opened um, my very first Beyond the Lanes Academy where at a time, and it's so appropriate, at a time where people could not go bowling, I gave them at least a way to strengthen um, themselves beyond the lanes that would directly influence them on the lanes. And so I was, I didn't know how it would go because a lot of people have lost their jobs or they're, um, they're dealing with all of this COVID stuff. So I was really happy with the turnout and we're already tomorrow night. It'll be week five out of six mm -hmm. and everybody seems really happy. And so first time I'm ever teaching it in this way. And I'm excited because eventually I want to do workshops and I want to be able to go to junior gold and kind of like, um, you know, be, be another, uh, way for these kids to get better at bowling and, um, but not focus on lanes. Cause I feel like I'm a good coach on the lanes, but nobody's really ever talked about everything that happens beyond and the goal setting and the failing and how failing is going to allow you to win and how to deal with different personalities on a team and all the things that I've, I've had to, um, to deal with in my life. And I'm, I really truly feel like this is what I'm meant to do and this is where I should be. So thank you for allowing me to talk about it. Cause I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I, I always felt like, and, and you know, part of, you know, part of what, what I write about in my book is, is similar. Uh, but if, if you took, you know, an athlete and, you know, a successful lawyer and a successful business person, and, you know, it, and, and another athlete in a different sport, and you ask them, you know, what were the keys that, that allowed them to succeed? They would probably all tell you the exact same things, right? I mean, there, there really isn't another way to be successful at something right. than what you just talked about, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I always thought it was interesting, uh, you know, with respect to my work with PWBA, it was why can't we get in front of companies and show these ladies and, and, and just put a presentation together that said, hey, if you want to be successful in your company, you know, follow the example that these ladies have set, mm -hmm. you know, who are excellent in, in what it is that they do. Right. And is that mm -hmm. kind of what you're thinking? I would love to get into more corporate speaking where I can talk from a world champion perspective, because I think when you put that behind it, people are like, oh, there's not a lot of world champions in the world in anything. And so here I am and I do have something to say and it is based on my experiences and it wasn't always easy. And, you know, I think one thing that I've realized when I've been doing a lot of self-reflection is that when when people look at professional bowlers or world champions, they are like they're just good right? And they don't realize what it took to get there because they don't see the journey. They don't see the heartbreak. They don't see the tears or the crying on, you know, the, the floor in front of my refrigerator because I didn't feel like I was good enough because other people 
were telling me that I wasn't good enough. And they, they don't see any of that. They just see you on a pedestal and they right. think, well, I can never achieve that because she's just good, but it's not that way. Right. You truly can be as good as you choose to be in anything. Right. And that's what I'm here to say. But I think I could take that beyond beyond bowling into <laughs> corporations, into a group setting, into a TED talk. Right. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's nobody, maybe, maybe Tiger Woods and Justin Bieber have a direct line from point A to point B. Right. I mean, everybody else just gets, and, and I'm sure, if, if you ask Tiger Woods and Justin Bieber, they, they'd say it wasn't a bowl of cherries getting mm -mm. to where they were. But but it, it's never a straight line. It's just a constant process of getting knocked down and getting back up again, right? Yeah, and, and tapping into your intuition and what that even means. And like, I, there's just so much to it that um, I kind of wish somebody told me when I was younger and especially like, you know, the college years and, and, and then right after. And um, I hope that I can be that person for many. I have to say, JT, you went for the first Chumbawamba reference on the PWBA podcast. So you worked <laughs> that in there. I don't know if you meant to do that or not, but that was, that took me back. Uh, but, it's always, always a first. But D, I love the message there. And, you know, you talk, and, you know, we kind of mentioned, referenced you as a youth ambassador, and you really do that a lot with the Elite Youth Tour. Uh, you mentioned you had the event this weekend. What did, like, what does a socially distanced socially distant tournament kind of look like for you guys now? Yeah, you know, it was really, number one, it was really important for me to make sure that everybody was safe and that we were following the guidelines of the state. And um, initially when I put registration, the proprietor of the center contacted me after many months. It wasn't even on our schedule. And he's like, do you want to try this? We should be able to have 50% capacity. He has a big center. I was like, okay. So I put up my registration and I told him, I'm like, you don't think things are going to change, right? Because I don't want to have to refund all these people. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm feeling like this is this is what they're telling us. This is what the state's telling us. Well, it turns out that instead of 50%, it was 50 people. And then um, it was supposed to be one squad. So it, literally two days before the event, I had to make a, a pivot and I had to make a call and I had to change the format. And that's uh, it's a lot of work because there were 60 people that signed up and I had to make sure every single one of them got my message. And it was right before holidays. So people had plans and but it ended up good. We we cut it in um, two squads. We allowed them to bring one parent. Um, anybody that was in the bowling center had to wear a mask. If you were in the bowlers area, you did not. Um, and you know what? Every single person in that bowling center abided by it. They respected it. Um, nobody wants to wear a mask. Like, let's be mm -hmm. real. Like, it's not fun. You can't breathe. I had a hard time talking. I talked all day long. I feel like I kind of lost my voice because I was trying to project a little more than normal. So it's not fun for anyone. But I think, and what I told them in my announcements is that Illinois numbers started really bad in March, April, and they're getting a lot better. And I want to be, um, I want to be on the side of helping them trend the right way. And I'm not interested in trying to go around rules or break rules. So if people aren't comfortable, then they could, they just don't need to come. But every single person at center was so appreciative that we finally brought it back and they thanked me. Um, it was, it was amazing. We had two squads and it was, you know, I had to limit the field. It had to, there had to be a cut, cut off, but we gave 16 junior gold spots away. Very awesome. Which Very awesome. I am so proud of. We've never, so you guys know like tournaments run their tournaments, but inside the tournament, there's another tournament. Right. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, 
I want to help the USBC. So I want to qualify these kids, but also I'm trying to run my tournament. So it's a lot of work to do double, but we always do that, but we never do it for two squads, two sets. Like there were six games. So we did games one through three and four through six. I mean, we don't do that mainly because it's just complicated. What if somebody makes it the first squad and then we they make it the second squad and I have to refund them? Um, what if you have to pay prepay for the second squad before they start bowling? Like there's a lot of rules and um, we it's just a lot. But for this one and for the coming ones, I really I, I want to push ourselves because these kids, I'm sure they are they're anxious to bowl. A lot of the things that they were planning on bowling can't happen. So I really wanted to step up and give them opportunities to qualify for next year's junior gold. And I know they appreciated that and it worked. I had um, an extra person there to make sure that ran smooth. And I'm so proud that we were able to qualify 16 people. And, you know, there's something that started in 2012. Uh, and, and another thing I talk about in my Beyond the Lanes is that I always come up with ideas and I never know how to do them. But I figured out that everything is figure outable. And in 2012, I was on a plane to the Queens and I had an idea. I was by myself and I was like, Jason Belmonte and I should start because we were doing a lot of coaching together. I'm like, we should start a youth tour. And I landed and I called them. I'm like, we should start a youth tour. And he was like, okay, (laughs) let's do it. We both had no, we knew how to bowl tournaments. We didn't know how to run tournaments. So Jason was really uh, instrumental in the beginning to help get the sponsors and get things running. He's not really involved anymore, but I'll always give him so much credit for helping me launch it together. Um, But I didn't know how to do it. And I wanted it to be a nonprofit. It's a 501c3. I wanted it to be um, where people go to become better bowlers, but also leaders. And um, so I did. Oh, there we are. So I just figured out how to do it. And luckily with so many amazing sponsors like Storm and Turbo who have been on from the beginning and High Five Gear, we are able to um, run really professionally run events every month, usually. And we've given out over $230,000 in scholarships. And honestly, out of everything that I've done in my career, and I've done some really cool things, this is at the top. Like this is what moves me knowing that I can affect so many lives and, and, and influence them to go to college and to go to junior gold. And some of our bowlers have gone to junior gold, made team USA, junior team USA. There was a kid who, who Cameron Crow, mm-hmm. yep. my bowler, elite youth tour bowler of the year, the last couple of years, he came up to me three months before he bowled team trials. And he said, DeAndre, do you think I'm good enough to make junior team USA? It's my first time going to team trials. And I said, I think I know that you're good enough but you need to know that you're good enough and you need to prepare for it and you need to find the resources and make sure that you take it seriously. But you, you, you truly can make junior team USA. What does he do? Yeah, he's he doesn't good. just make junior team USA. <laughs> he makes the adult team USA and wins the national amateur champion. Yeah. So to be able to empower youth and to kind of help guide them and, and anyway, Oh, it's just, it's like what I'm here to do. And I, I don't think I always knew that. I feel like, you know, when I decided to have kids, I knew that my life was going to change and that there would be this pivot of, um, okay, things are going to look differently. And, and I feel like in bowling um, or in any, in most sports, nobody really talks about women who were at the top of the their game taking a step back to have a family and how to kind of um, understand that. Cause it's, it's not easy. 
because mentally like you're the same person, but the, we have to stop bullying. We, we are having, we get pregnant. We, our bodies change. We have to deal with the after of now I had the baby. Now I have to, to figure out how to be great. Cause you know me, like I, in my life, I want to be great at everything that I do. And so I put in the time and I find the resources and I find the coaching and I do it. And so all of a sudden in 2010, I was feeling very mediocre at, at a lot of things. I was, I felt like a mediocre mom. I felt like a mediocre bowler. I felt like a mediocre coach. It was the first time in my whole life that I uh, was feeling that way. And no, I've never heard anybody in, in any sport really talk about that transition. Um, and I think I can help others that will go through it too. But, um, you know, I think that if somebody would have just told me at that time, like, it's, it's actually okay. Like you did, you did such a great job and you were, you know, I came from Aaron knows cause he lives really close to where I grew up. Dyer, Indiana, small town girl with big dreams. When I was 12 years old, I remember thinking, I want to be one of the best bowlers in the world. And I remember the people in my town look at me like, who do you think you are that you think you can be the best in the world at anything? But I was just crazy enough to believe that I could. And then, and then I did. And so when you get to that level, I think something in your brain thinks that you are going to stay there forever. When you're in the midst of it, you're just like, this is what it's going to be like. And then when you make decisions in your life that show you differently, you're like, wait a second. Like, I decided to take a step back from Team USA because 15 straight years, like I, I loved every moment of it. I, it was, it was hard and it was fun and it was, it was, it taught me so much, but I didn't want to be gone for weeks at a time anymore. I wanted to be able to provide for my family and to be there and not miss moments. And so all of a sudden I started questioning my identity and I was like, well, who even am I? If I'm not Deandra's baby Team USA, like, who are people, what are they going to even think? And I mean, just being like super transparent and honest, like it was, it was hard to figure that out. And, um, and I, I just remember feeling frustrated and then I won the Queens. And when I won the Queens in 2012, when Madden was 14 months or something, I was, it was like, I was able to give myself permission that, it's okay that your life is going to look different now and you don't have to continue to strive to be the best in the world and feel like you're having an impact. And, and so then from that point on in my early thirties, I decided that I'm going to. Probably build... my favorite picture of all time. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I do, man. All the emotions that are in that picture is like my life. My life's work is there. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I never, I'm, you know, everybody's happy when they win. Right. But, but I'm sure there was a huge piece of you that, that was unfulfilled because there was no tour to yeah. compete on when you were in your prime. Right. When you, before exactly. you had kids, before, yep. when it was just you and bowling, uh, you didn't get the opportunity to do it. So it's really interesting to hear that that was kind of like your, um, catharsis, I guess. Yeah. And it makes me kind of emotional just looking at that picture because I think people see that picture and they're like, Oh, she won her first, her first major title. But for me, I look at it and it's like, 
I knew what I was going through at that moment. And I knew the pivot that I was making. And I knew, I knew that I had nothing to prove because I had already done so much, but to be able to win a major at a moment that was so hard for me in my career, because things were easy way before that. Like I traveled most of the year. Luckily I had a really uh, supportive husband and he worked a lot. So it wasn't, you know, like, when I got out of college, he worked a lot and I traveled a lot and I bowled a lot all around the world. And seeing this picture, I think that it is, um, if, if it is my last title ever, I am okay with that. I Do I think I could still win? Yeah, I mean, I'm super competitive. I want to still win and I'll still try, try to compete and not do it full time. But, you know, I was planning on bowling over half the stops. And um, I believe that with my experience, I could get there and I, I could win. I believe that. Um, it's so much harder now because I'm not dedicating my entire life to be, being the best bowler in the world. But um, that picture in general and that moment is something I've never felt in my entire life where after I won it, and I've never, full disclosure, I've never done drugs ever. But if I had... I think that's how it would feel. <laughs> well, in that case, maybe yeah. I should know. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody has done drugs because that's how your brain works. Right. So the, the high that I felt after I won that was um, like, a, I was like out of body. And um, I, I appreciate you appreciating that, that <laughs> photo because it was not, that's not something that you plan. Like, and you know, like I'm not a showy bowler. You know, like I do my job. I don't overreact to shots. But after that, the the winning shot and I let out like a little scream, kind of when I watch it back, I'm like, oh, God. But that was so real. That was like how I was feeling. And that moment when I was holding the check, I just like letting out that scream was like it was it was some sort of high. I was in another world. We got we got a clip of it. Let's watch it. Is a must strike situation. Every little girl's dream stepping up in the tent, strike to win first major. Two deep breaths. Yeah. Hook, hook, hook. Oh, so I, I didn't know the score totally. I actually, um, I didn't know that I still needed seven, seven pins. pins away from the championship. But I was all I was like, just I mean, were you, were you just shocked there that that one carried? Um, I think I was just shocked that I had a chance to actually seal it. And I knew that if I struck again, that I would win. I knew that, but I didn't know that I didn't really even need a strike. Well, they, was it kind of the realization like, I, I think I'm gonna win? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. appropriate that she has another strike she has been brilliant all night and deandra has made her husband john right before that first shot in the 10th i remember standing on the approach and i had this like vision of madden at home he was at home watching with my dad live and i really feel like that was that was like the universe telling me like no matter what happens on the shot it's it's okay like she was brilliant tonight 
Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And to, to, be able, to be able to bowl Carolyn for my first major was super special too, because obviously she's somebody that I looked up to and and to climb the ladder. And so here's, here's what I want to say about that. Almost everyone knows that I, I won the 2012 USBC Queens. But what they don't know is in 2007, I made the Queen show. They don't remember that. And I, um, I led the 2007 Queens from start to finish. Qualifying, I was number one. And on the show, um, two, oh, and I was at double elimination, never lost a match. And then I got to the show. I was, I was, um, I remember it so vividly. I was offset and was warming up. Um, somebody had mentioned that they're really running over. So um, I don't know what happened in my brain, but when I got onto the show, I was willing Kelly Kulik and a, another like obvious um, mentor of mine that I looked up to. And um, in, in that moment, I already believed that I won that tournament because nobody beat me from start to finish. And I bowled so well that um, it was just like a formality. Like, okay, we'll just win this one more match and then get the tiara. And uh, I was, I read every mental game book that there was. And I talked to a sports psychologist, Dr. Dean Hinnitz. Um, I talked to him before that match, actually. I, I was prepared, I was ready, I was mentally stable. And then I got on the show and I made every single mistake that you can make. I was never present. I was never myself. I stood up at the line. I worried about everybody watching at home and I tried to not mess up. I missed spares and then it was over. And there I was sitting in the chair watching Kelly Kula get the tiara that I thought I deserved and it should have been going on my head. And I was so heartbroken and humiliated. It was my first time on live TV. I was and gonna I ask that. I was just yeah. gonna ask that. Yep. Because that's, that's I, I mean. It's a different animal. Yeah. And I all but fell down. I'm like, I literally made every mistake. And, and I wasn't as mad at losing, because you can bowl good and lose, and that's easier to swallow. But I was so humiliated and so disappointed that everything that I've learned and I worked for was completely out the door. And I just couldn't believe it. And then the next day, a lot of people don't realize, the next day I had to go to the world ranking masters tournament with my mom. One, one female from the US got to go and it was me and I showed up. Jerry Edwards was my coach and I literally still had tears in my eyes and I'm not an overly emotional person. I can really kind of manage that. I showed up and she looked at me and she's just like, are you going to be okay? And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> wow. And I was serious. And my poor, my poor mom, no matter what she said, it was the wrong thing. Like she, she was trying to be my mom and I'm, I was just in a really bad state. So I, I, practiced for the world ranking tournament with Jerry, super not focused. And I told her, I'm like, I don't know how to snap out of this. Like everyone's like, just use this tournament to prove, you know, prove that, you know, and I was like, it's, it is not that easy. You don't get to decide that. Like 
how am I going to forget about what just happened and then focus on what's next? Because I didn't even have time to heal. Like my heart hurt. And I started the tournament and I remember, I'll never forget, it was like uh, first couple of games, they had a scrolling huge screen and I was at towards the bottom and I was like, what is happening? Like, wh who am I? And the second day it was the same. And then something happened. The third day I woke up, very vivid memories, waking up in the hotel and breathing easier and thinking to myself, huh, I'm going to be okay. Like I'm okay. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because, and that this is one of the interesting things about having a tour, I think, is that I think when you have a tour and there's an event week after week, you just learn how to process things a lot faster. And, and you probably just needed some time to process it because I know, I know the most competitive people in the world, they have to process why something went wrong so that they can learn and move on and not be afraid of the next time it happens. Right. Exactly. So I woke up that morning and I was like, I could breathe. And then, and then it flipped a switch and my bowling and I was able to be more focused. And then I won that tournament. And, um, and then I got home and I got to think about the, the Queens debacle. And I thought when I am in that situation again on live TV, bowling for a title, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be myself no matter what, win or lose. I'm going to enjoy the moment. I'm going to slow things down and go when I'm ready, not feel rushed. I'm going to um, soak it all in and really focus on um, like maybe two physical things that I, I will do all the, all the things I didn't do. And so there I was in 2012. Well, no, that wasn't my. Well, yeah, you won like every every show you were on, right? Well, for, for, no. for quite the some next, time. Um, but, but that one in particular, because it was live, I remember thinking to myself, and I was a fifth seat. I remember thinking, okay, like I saw a girl in the stands holding a sign that said Deandra Rocks. And I remember thinking, wow, that's so cool. And no matter what, I got her. She's no matter what, win or lose, like she's going to be inspired. And I remember thinking, I'm going to go when I'm ready. If I can't catch my breath, then I'm not going to go. And I didn't care how many shot clock violations that I got. And I remember enjoying like being able to turn around and see my husband there um, with me. And um, I just enjoyed it. And I was myself. I was like, win or lose, I'm just going to be me. I'm going to look at my target. I'm going to watch my ball roll over it. I'm going to stay down because that was something that I did under pressure a lot is pull up at the line. And, um, and, and I won because I lost, I yeah. won because I lost and I got three shot clock violations yeah. for $500 each. I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't even yeah. care if I would have lost. I, I knew that I did. I put myself in the best position to win because yeah, and I bet you, if you would have lost, you wouldn't have been as devastated as you would have no. that first time. Right. No, nope. yeah. no, not even close. Yeah. And, um, but I think that's important for people to know, like you don't get to just go to the top. You don't get to just achieve your goals. Like the journey is the reason that right. you get there. Right. Do you ever ask yourself, you know, I mean, you learned that lesson, you know, pretty, pretty well, pretty quickly, but do you ever ask yourself, you know, how many titles would I have won if they had a, a women's tour when, uh, you know, between Oh three and, and 15. Yeah, you know, um, I have thought about it. Like, I would, 
I would think that I would have a chance for like the PWBA Hall of Fame. And I know that I won't because I, I'm not committing my life to it. And um, so when I graduated college, I was so excited to go out on tour and bowl with bowlers that I enjoyed watching on TV, like Carolyn and Wendy and Leanne and Kim. And then I graduated, finally graduated. And then I was gone. And I was like, wait, what? Like, that was my plan. What am I going to do? And fortunately, there was Team USA. And Team USA filled that void for me. And if I look back and I had a chance to change things and, and I had a chance to bowl on a tour or do what I did, I don't know how I could choose to bowl on a tour. Because traveling the world, competing for my country for most of my 20s, and to be able to, to submerge myself in cultures, and not only about the bowling and, and the winning and the medals, but meeting people along the way. You know, I met Jason at the 2003 World Championships before anybody even knew him. And I, I joke with him. I'm like, remember that time at the World Championships where everybody knew me, but nobody knew you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you became the most famous uh, woman bowler in the world. I mean, well, right? I would, and that was like my my dream, right? When I was a kid, I wanted to be one of I wanted to be one of the best bowlers in the world. And for three years, I was voted World Bowler of the Year. And so, the, if that's not a story of like small town girl with big dreams showing you or anyone that it, you could really do it, then I don't know what is. But at that time in 2003, at that World Championships, um, that was pivotal for me because I won the Masters event um, at that event. And, um, and then I want it back to back years at the next world championship. I won the masters, which I'm not sure if anybody has at that time. Oh, she'll be back. She'll be back. I'm back. Okay. Um, talking about Team USA and how important it was for me, um, in my twenties, like I, I have such gratitude for the program and the, all the coaches that I've had. I had so many amazing coaches throughout those years, and I was able to see the world because of that program. And um, I am so, I, I feel so grateful for that opportunity um, to have done that. So if I think about the PWBA being gone when I graduated, um, do I wonder? I do wonder. But I don't regret it because I, I lived an amazing life and I, I did some really cool things and I can't imagine it any other way. I'm glad it's back for the younger generation so that they don't have to wonder what to do. Because at that time, if I was on Team USA, I couldn't be a professional bowler. Right. You had to mm -hmm. choose. Yeah. And that and now it's changed, which is really great. So they can do both. Um you, you mentioned Jason in that story. I'm curious. Um, I know when you guys started working on some, some things together, uh, people don't remember this, but he was really struggling on television. You know, he used to joke around that, you know, he doesn't win. He just finished his second. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure you had something to do with his, his development into the player that he is. What, what, A, did you, and B, what, what, what makes him so so great? There's a lot of great players out there, two-handers, high rev rates. Why is he so much better than everybody else? That's a great question. Um, to the first question, I think you should ask him that because um, I'm not sure if I 
I can answer that, but I will say that there, you know, we, we became really great friends. You know, we're, we're best friends. We, we, we share something in common where we traveled the world before we were pros. We met there. Um, I really have gotten to know his, his amazing wife, Kimberly and his kids. And so we, our families are really close. Um, and I remember in 2010, we started the International Art of Bowling, uh, which was a coaching company that we traveled around doing clinics and not anymore because obviously we're both really busy. But at that time, I really got to know him um, from a bowling standpoint, but also like how he was able to think. And in the early 2010s um, was about the time where he was emerging. And um, there were moments where I was watching the the extra frame and at that time. And I was like, why does he look like he's trying to win during qualifying? Or towards the end, he was trying to, um, he, I could tell he was trying. And so I, I talked to him about it. I was like, look, because no, he's never really had a coach. And he's never really had um, a mental game coach. And so I was just trying to talking him through this. Um, this was a fun show. This was like. You I stole a title from him. I was pregnant on that show. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I I love telling this story because uh, I I tell him he him and Michelle ran away with this event, five hundred pins above second place, and then Brian and I snuck into the show, climbed the ladder, and stole that twenty five thousand dollars right out of his pocket and put it in mine. <laughs> and yeah, somehow, you, and didn't Brian make the seven ten for you guys to make the show? Yeah, actually. Um, and then you made I, that. I, love to, I would love to talk. <laughs> story because yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, um, this is a story that I just told in, in my beyond the lanes program. Um, and it was really influential and I pulled up the seven ten win that you called. Yeah. Well, I, I actually just shot the, the video of it. Oh, well, no, yeah. cause you can hear you. Well, you, you, you chimed in. Uh, yeah, I did. They, yeah, they, they, uh, you're like, I know it's easy to say now, but yeah. I had a feeling he was going to make that. So yeah, Brian and I bowled this mixed doubles tournament, which for those that didn't know, um, this is an event where you don't get to pick your partner. You you get paired up based on qualifying. So um, I get to bowl with a Hall of Fame bowler. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So Brian and I didn't really know each other that well, um, really bowled well together. He was very respectful. I learned a lot from him. And then um, we got to the match where it was right before it was the position round to get on the show. And it was pretty close between a couple teams. It could have gone a couple different ways. We were bowling Tom Smallwood and Jody Westner. And I had a really good look. And I struck a lot in that game. It was Baker. And in a very crucial frame at, towards the end of the game, I think it was the eighth frame maybe? Ninth frame? Eight, eight, I don't know. Somewhere in the, at the end. Um, was it the seventh frame? Yeah, let's pull it up here. So okay. Eighth frame for you guys. Eighth frame. So I, um, he he leaves a pocket seven ten, and let's see what happens. And I think what happened after this was um, most influential to me. This was huge. I mean, you guys, you guys were up, I think, and then yeah. you know, all of a sudden, you leave the seven ten, and now you're down. Yeah. And Westner and and Smallwood were were dead lined up. And they were on a string of strikes, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, no, they weren't. They weren't. Never mind. Uh, but it was close. It, yeah. Like, you know, they started. Yeah, you missed this and you guys are losing. Yep. Yeah, right. Slow roller. <laughs> so then what happened after this was 
was mind blowing to me. We were interviewed, we made the show and may, you know, that obviously helped us very much. We were interviewed by um, Randy Peterson, Rob Stone. And they asked Brian, you left this 710 in this really like inopportune moment. Like, what were you thinking when you left it? And he's like, I was thinking what I always think when I leave anything that I was going to make it. And I was like, maybe that's why I've never made a 710. <laughs> so I, I was like, wow, no matter what he leaves, his first thought is that he's going to make it. So what do you think my first thought was when I left that split on TV? Yeah. yeah. Was that I was going to make it. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of the sport, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Knocked all 10 down in one or two right, shots. Right, but like our minds get, we get in our own way. Yeah. Is what happens. And and he, that's why he's Hall of Fame. He was able to figure that out early. And he really taught me a lot in that little moment. And it really, it, it helped us right away. But then in in the future, it's helped me too. That with, with you know, doubting, you, we all doubt ourselves at some point. But if you doubt yourself, you're probably going to lose. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you can't, especially at that level, you can't do it without confidence and believing in yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, because there'll be too many people that, that do have that confidence and they're, they're going to beat you. Yep. Totally. It's, it's at that level. It, I mean, describe, I mean, you talked a little bit about Jason and we, we, had, you know, skirted around the issue of oh, why yeah. he's better, oh, yeah. but you know, is it, is it all just meant, I mean, like people don't realize he's not that much better than everybody else, but he no, wins he all the time, right? No, he's better. So what? What is? I mean, if you just look at the averages, right? The two uh, like he's like two, maybe one or two pins better a game. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. seem well, like a lot, but then he wins. You know, he wins Bowler of the Year almost every year. Yeah, I think there was a time where we spent a lot of time at these coaching clinics together, and and we were also doing presentations on the mental game, and it was funny because he'd never read a mental game book, and so I was kind of teaching him in the very beginning, he'll probably deny all of us. <laughs> this is, you know, we're like brother and sister. But there was a time where I was, I said, I, we would have a conversation like what, what's the most important frame of the game? And he, he could have an argument for like the 10th frame or the ninth frame. I'm like, okay, so you try harder in the ninth frame than you would in the first frame. He's like, well, yeah. I was like, like, think about that. And so I think what I did was give him another way to look at things. And I said, the most important frame in the game is the one that you're in. Right. That is. Because you can't control what happened. You can't control what's going to happen. You can control what is happening. And I remember watching him on the extra frame shows. And I afterward, after the block, he would get there. And then and then at the end, not get there. And I, I said, what what is happening? Like, why are you, why does it look like you're really trying to win? You can't win yet. You don't try to win. Win is something that happens when you put everything together. You, you can't go up there and try to strike. Nobody, no good bowler goes up there and, and says, all right, I'm going to strike on this shot. No, you focus on the process. Right. You slide here, you hit this, you put yourself in the position to knock down the pin. And if you do that, then that happens. But he was doing it backwards in the beginning. And he has so much confidence that I feel like a lot of the success that came before that was literally just he walks in a bowling center and he thinks he's going to win every single time. And then he does because he thinks it and the others don't. Right. 
And now he's bullying against bowlers that are better, are really good and have done this for a while and get it. And it was harder to win in the beginning. And then I feel like he just one day understood. He And he's like, in order to win, you have to really not try. You can't try. You focus. Like, you know, he never knew what he was looking at. Even if it was a little bit of an area, he just didn't know because his ball's so powerful. He really didn't have to narrow his focus as much. Yeah. But I think I pushed him to narrow it yeah. and see how good you could be if you actually focus more on the process. And I, I cannot take any of the credit from anything, any amazing thing he's done. But I do know that those conversations must have been a little bit influential. And um, and that's why I have felt so much a part of his successes too, that I, I saw that journey. And I saw yeah. how it wasn't really that easy. People think it was easy because he wins so much now, but he has kind of gone gone through some some stuff that he had to work out. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense because, you know, like I have conversations with my kids, my two sons, they're in theater, right? At school, they're not into sports. I tried my best, uh, tried to get them into bowling. They just wouldn't do it, but they are in theater. And one of them is, he just, he wants it so badly, right? He, I mean, he's a theater major in college now. But uh, the other son, he is is a very talented singer and he, he takes you know voice lessons and he's very interested in the process of becoming a better singer. He doesn't have a huge amount of confidence, but my son all throughout college or right, all throughout high school, my older son never got a lead in a play because all he thought about was getting a lead in the play. And the other one, all he thought about was how to be a better singer and he's getting leads left and right. Yeah. And so it's just interesting that the other one has no interest in, in getting a lead, but he get, he's get all he gets all the leads. And the other one, you know, couldn't get out of his own way because that's all he wanted. It's Sometimes really the focus, the focus is just in the wrong place. And if you shift your focus, then you get there. But if you're if you're always obsessed over winning, the actual winning of it, you have no control over your opponent but you have control over what you can do. And so focusing on the process, just like your son, if you just keep showing up, right? keep showing up the best version of yourself every single time. The funny thing is my younger son has no idea. That's why he's getting right? leads. Exactly. <laughs> and ignorance is bliss. So, I mean, Jason, I'm sure for him, he actually had to have that awareness of, I need to, I need to not care in order to do better. Yep. And that's hard to do. Right. Yeah. But if the ones that figure it out get there most often. Yeah. I'm interested in the two handed game. Uh, you know, if you go out to junior gold now, you know, half the boys field is two handers. Yeah. My you, see few, you see a few girls doing it. But when do you think we're going to see a, a PWBA tour champion uh, as a two hander? I think we will. Um, I don't know when, but um I think what Jason did was he, he not only showed us a different way to do something well, he showed us that there's not one way to do something right. And when I had my kids, my Madden, who's almost 10 now, bowls in my elite youth tour, which is amazing to, for me to see. But when he was a kid um, and he started walking and he started bowling, he bowled five different ways. He bowled righty. He bowled two-handed. He bowled putting his right hand in it, but bowling lefty. And I didn't touch it. I was just like, 
you do you. What feels best? What do you want to do? And he was close to Jason. Like since he was born, he knew him and he, we watched him. We've been rooting him on. So I thought he might be a two-handed bowler and that would have been fine. But he decided um, that he was going to just be a one-handed, right-handed bowler. But uh, at one point I thought, hmm, how do I feel about him putting his right hand in it and bowling two-handed lefty? Yeah. Like, but who am I to say that that's wrong? Yeah. Like, like Simonson's doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. it wasn't like a, it was weird. Cause it, it, yeah, it wasn't like he, you know, cause Simon, yeah, I guess so. It doesn't look like he's backing it up though. It doesn't. He's, it looks like a natural shot. Oh I yeah. Mean, it's, it's yeah. Insane. That I guess is similar to that, but I, you know, it's just opened my mind. And I think a lot of other people too, when I, and when I coach people, I, if somebody wants to keep a backup ball and that's what they want to do, I'm not going to change them. If they want to change, I'm happy to help them. But who am I to say that something is right or something is wrong? Now, if you're falling off every single shot, I'm going to be like, you shouldn't do that. 100%. You should. Our little short break. This is true. Yeah. I'm back. Okay. I I think there's some non-negotiables in bowling. Like I'm not going to, tell somebody that falls off every shot that it's okay to do that. Yeah. That's you. No, you can do better. You can have better balance and you can be stronger at the line. And I mean, Sean Maldonado does it and he's, he's decent. He does it. He does it the same every single shot. Yeah. Do you think if he stopped doing that, he'd, he'd win a title? Yeah. I think he's good enough to stop doing that and win a title. <laughs> I think he's also good enough to do that and win a title. Yeah. True. So it's, um, I'm not talking about a pro doing it. I'm talking about like most bowlers that kind of get lazy, lose their balance and fall off. He hops. He doesn't fall off. True. Yeah. True. Uh, I think we have a really good question from the, from the audience, Aaron. Um, There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You don't have a girlfriend. So how can you go on? I'm not sure if he's asking me or yeah. if he just wants my advice. Yeah, I think I think he does. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think he was. That question came up when we were talking about not thinking about the process. So I think oh, right. Be answer, yeah, just right? be you. <laughs> be you. Show Don't up. Think about it. Don't just think show about up it. authentically and genuinely, <laughs> and be you 100. And the girls will just keep coming. Beyond bowling, things that you learn about life from bowling, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, what's the difference between your game now and uh, when you were, you know, in your prime, you know, bowling yeah, all the man. time? Yeah. Um, well, in my twenties, it was everything. It was my everything. It was my world. It was my focus. I was super, super selfish because you have to be to be the best. Right. You have to be selfish. You have to put yourself first. And you have to um, put in the hard work and in a literally every single day and you have to figure things out. You have to continue to keep learning. You have to find the right coaches. And it's all about you. It was like me, me, me. And it's not like that anymore. So um, I think it's imperative to be that way when you're trying to get to the top. But then I'm not anymore. I'm not trying to get to the top. I, that doesn't mean I, I don't think I can win because I do, especially um, with the coaches that I have around me and the equipment, storm equipment and all the sponsors that I have. Like it kind of, they boost me up to have a chance, 
but I also know that I'm not bowling every single day like um, Danielle McEwen or a, a Diana or Verity, who really, that was me out of college. You know, that was me. I was like striving to prove myself and to be on top and to be the best. And um, now I, I'm, it's, it's, I'm not selfish at all. Now it's all about what can I do for others? How can I use my experiences that I've learned along the way to influence and affect and change lives? And for me, that's super empowering. To me, that means more than any title that I've ever won. And the moment, I thought that was the most important thing in my life. And I've realized that that only got me here. That, me, that got me to a place where I can now kind of use that to push other people forward whether it's youth bowlers or bowlers or non-bowlers or companies or whatever, um, the biggest difference between my game then and my game now is that um, I still care about bowling a lot. I, I still work on my game. I was ready to go out on tour. I was so ready. My storm equipment was on point. I was ready to bowl about oh, a little over half the stops and before um, the quarantine happened in March. And then um, – haven't bowling centers literally just opened up here in Illinois. So I think, uh, to answer your question, um, I was very selfish and now it's much more about, um, how I can serve the, the bowling community. And you've certainly done that. And we've talked to many aspects about the, the elite youth tour and the, uh, you know, just giving back to, to everything. And, uh, in, I know Jason, I believe, has a clip queued up here. We're going to kind of transition to, uh, you know, talking about the changes in your game. You did make a show a couple of years ago in Detroit in 2017. Uh, what was it like being back on that TV environment, of course? And, uh, you know, you mentioned a few of those young players, the Verdes, the Darias, and getting to, uh, you know, lace up with them in this moment. Yeah, it was like um, I was the old one. I was the old bowler on this show. <laughs> the old bowler. <laughs> I was. Well, I mean, Okay. I guess that gets back to the other question. I guess it's it's probably just sharpness, right? I mean, like you still know how to win. Like if yeah. you get a look that you liked, I mean, you yeah. made the show and I, it reminded me of like Tiger Woods, you know, after he won the masters and he talked about now my kids know that I'm not just a YouTube golfer and you know, you got your kids actually got to see you. Yeah. That was so special that my kids were in the back. Um, I think the difference is like, yeah, they, they are trying to, to do what I did. They were trying to be the world's best. They don't have a family to juggle. They, um, a lot of them don't have you know, jobs to worry about. Um, they can focus all their attention on their game and that's why they're so great. Right. And then there I am as a mom who, um, really, I do believe in my, uh, my, my game. And I feel like my game is, is a timeless game where it's very fundamentally sound. I'm always working on it, but, um, if I have the right ball and I'm doing not the great, right, not thing, exactly a great break there. <laughs> I know. Um, if I'm doing the right thing with in the right part of the lane, I think I could beat anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the funny thing. People were talking about tiger never winning again. And I said, Hey, if this, if his back's okay, yeah. He can hit the ball. He can still win because yeah. he knows how to win. And I think that's, that's what, you know, like, you know how to win. Mm -hmm. So if, if you, you got out there and you, you, you felt good and, you know, you got a, got a nice little look and something you like to do, you could, you could definitely still snap off a, a win. Thanks, right? Ace. 
<laughs> I'll dedicate my next win to your confidence. In me. <laughs> Jason Thomas said I could do it. So I did it. <laughs> Why do you think, uh, you know, you, you bowled a lot on Team USA with Shannon O'Keefe, and she was a good bowler for a long time, uh, but she had never really won anything. Why, why do you think she's become so great? Um, I, I think that before, like when I was sort of traveling the world competing, she was a good bowler. Um, I remember seeing her on the, the women's tour when I was like um, end of college. I would go out there and bowl like as a non-member. And I think she was giving it a go at that time. I always feel like she um, was kind of focused on her job and bowling was second. And I feel like, um, you know, when we got to know each other, that's sort of how it was where she was a really good bowler, but she also had a job that she, she cared about a lot too. So she was serious about that. And um, it's really hard to divide your focus and conquer the world. Right. So now she's able to put a huge priority uh, in her game and her job is in bowling. Right. And so she's coaching. And when you're coaching, you're getting better yourself. And so she's constantly putting things into the universe tips and helping people. And subconsciously it's, you know, helping her. And maybe she realizes that maybe she doesn't, but I feel like that is like the biggest difference is now um, and also, I feel like she um, she's one of the most driven bowlers out there. Um, I don't I, I think that she's the type of person that wants to see what she's capable of. And she pushes herself more than anyone. And she practices her heart out and she, you know, takes her fitness very seriously. Um, and that's why she wins, because she she's so driven to win. She's great. Are, are you surprised that she's the one that's kind of emerged as the the, the greatest player with this new? I mean, because everybody said Liz and Kelly were going to win everything, right? And you know, the first three years Liz did, but Kelly really she's only won once. Are you surprised that it was Shannon that's kind of emerged as the superstar? Um, knowing Shannon and knowing that she's actually a little bit like crazy, and you have to be a little bit crazy to be dominant. Just like anybody, think about anybody. Michael Jordan was crazy. Great opportunity re- to reference the last dance here. I mean, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, oh. no, I, I've seen it. It's amazing. Everybody, it was should amazing. See it. Yeah, but I think you know what? That's the honest truth. Like she, she, Shannon is a little crazier than Liz and and Kelly from the perspective of like obsessing over getting better and learning and repeating and like she. And, and, and I mean that in the best way. That's why she wins. You know, like this is not a knock at all. Like if people want to understand why Shannon O'Keefe is dominant, it's because she is obsessing over the process more than anybody else out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's interesting, uh, JT, that you brought that up because uh, we talked about Belmo kind of learning how to win uh, out on tour. Uh, obviously, Shannon has found that and has, has just continued to steamroll. Uh, you know, you look at a player like Dasha last year, kind of making the leap. Uh, D, who's kind of the player you see next in that role? Who's, uh, you know, obviously has, you know, everyone out there has the talent, the skill, but who's who's just waiting for that, that that big win to just start steamrolling, in your opinion? Verity. 
I like it. She's yeah. the one. I mean, there'll be a lot of, but Diana will win a lot. Daria will win a lot. But Verity, when she figures out how to win and it's right around the corner, she's going to be really hard to beat. Because she has that like mental attitude where she's she's a lot like, I feel like a lot like me bowling. She doesn't get overexcited and she doesn't get overly down. She's very constant. And in order to put yourself in the best position every single time, you have to have that like sort of even keel attitude and how to um, manage your emotions. And I know that she does that really well. And um, she's, it's just not time yet. I believe four runner-up finishes for her so far. So yes, she is. Oh, really? She is literally knocking on the door as much as anyone can. Yeah, that's no, that four is, of uh, them, huh? Yeah, that's. And she's pulled some huge games to lose those titles yeah. too. Because she she knows how to control her emotions. So that's the thing. Like she didn't lose them. She got out bold. You know, there's a difference. I lost the 2007 Queens. I did not get out bold. <laughs> I just sucked. <laughs> But I'm, you know, without that, do I win? I don't know. It's easy to think that maybe not. Maybe I don't learn all those lessons to get that major in my career, towards the end of my career. I don't know. Maybe Verity just really needs a really bad showing <laughs> <laughs> to learn. And then. Well, I mean, it happened with Shannon, right? I mean, she she just got stomped on by Liz and Kelly those yeah. whole 12 years while, you know, there was no tour. And then, you know, she continued to to get stomped on by, by Liz um, for a while. And then she beat her. And then it was over. Mm -hmm. Ever, all the titles just started coming. Once she beat Liz that first time. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's totally true. There's a lot of really great talent on the PWBA and it's so fun for me to, to be out there and to see it. You know, I'm not, people are like, Oh, are you jealous that, you know, you're not in that position anymore? And I'm really not because I, I've had an amazing career in bowling and I'm so grateful for it, but to be able to see the Daria's and the Dasha's and the Diana's and 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 Julia Bonds and Gigi's. I um, I am excited for them. I can't wait to watch their career unfold and um, and to see them just like become themselves. And uh, it's it's amazing. And it just keeps getting better because college bowling keeps getting stronger. And there's better college coaches, and the high school bowling is is getting better. And so high school is going to make college better. College is going to get, you know, the professional ranks stronger. So good for you guys for doing the right thing, <laughs> setting them yeah. all up. And I also think, you know, one of the biggest kept secrets in bowling is how much money there is at the college level for for athletes to go to school. Scholarship yes. money. You know, when people ask me you know, or they tell me that there's no money in bowling. I just point them to the college game and I say, you know, there's millions of dollars in scholarships available, you know, for, for your kids. So you mm -hmm. should be definitely involving in, in your kids in bowling. And, you know, you're one of the people that, that gives out a, a, a big chunk of that. Yeah, I know. And I think people that don't bowl are really surprised. Like when I meet, you know, whatever, like my neighbors here that don't bowl, they are just like, you can bowl in college. And I was like, yeah, I got a full ride scholarship to the university of Nebraska, which is a really great like academic school, but also athletic school. 
Um, and so there's that, there's the NCAA portion of it, but also the money that you can earn as a youth bowler that will help you through school. I, I think if people knew that there might be more bowlers, there might be more youth because I, my friends that I have a lot of friends in Chicago that don't bowl and I'm, and I always give their kids bowling balls for their birthday. <laughs> and I was like, you know, you should really look, look into maybe getting them into a league because, um, there's a lot of money. It could really, you know, college is getting more expensive. So, you know, I'm always like plugging that route. Yeah. That's why I was trying to get my kids into it, but they just, they didn't, know, they're like, yeah, no, I wouldn't do it. No, no. Uh, I think one more topic. We've gone an hour and 16 minutes. Man, it goes by fast, doesn't it? Very fast. Uh, wanted to get your take on uh, the PWBA being involved in the PBA League. There's going to be two women's teams that uh, they're going to have a draft tomorrow. Uh, what do you think about that? What What do you think our chances are, at our meaning PWBA? I'm, I'm speaking for with my PWBA hat on, not my, my male I'm, I'm rooting for the women. As you uh, should. <laughs> what do you think about the whole thing? And what do, what do they need to do to, to beat the men? Wow, you really set her up for the question. There. I know, you, man. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's amazing. <laughs> and I thank the PBA for finally realizing that women should be in the league. And I cannot wait to see the women beat the men because that's then that'll be a whole other issue. And then all of a sudden the, the women won't be allowed. This <laughs> is making their bowlers look bad. Um, I think that the women truly do have an advantage in the sense of, um, you know, they, they can play together, I think, more easily as far as we're, um, how they're breaking down the lane and together. And I feel like emotionally women could possibly have it together a little tighter. Like they're, they've got their emotions under, under control a little bit better. Um, I think men obviously have, they're going to have the more power, um, but depends on what they put out. Right. So they might put out a pattern that will suit the women, but no matter who is on that team, they 100% have a chance to win the league. I wish I was a coach. Maybe maybe when they add another team, they'll <laughs> add me as a coach. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, tough question. If you have the first pick. Oh, man. Ooh. Oh, gosh. Liz. Yeah, she's... I like it. You can't not pick the, the greatest of all time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Is, is Liz your greatest of all time? Yeah. She is? She is. Yeah. I mean... Why do you say her, not not Lisa Wagner? Oh, um, I mean that's hard. I would have to look at the. I would have to compare them because you know Lisa Wagner was my idol when I was like eight. Like I watched her and she inspired me. And I remember meeting her and getting her autograph. I don't remember every single thing she won, but Liz bowling with her and seeing her win everything. Um it's just fresher. So it's easier to say that she was the greatest of all time. So I, what do you think? Yeah. Well, it's hard because, you know, Lisa Wagner, I think retired early. Oh. She probably could have won another 10 or 15 more titles. Mm -hmm. um, but, but Liz uh, didn't have 12 years of her career to rack up more titles. Right. So 
I, I think it's between those two personally. But, yeah, you know, I'd agree. Yeah. I, I'm just glad that I was able to bowl with some of my idols on Team USA, like Wendy McPherson and and Kim Kearney and Leanne Holzenberg, people that I literally remember as a little girl watching on TV thinking, if I get to choose how I bowl, I want to hook the ball like Leanne. Mm -hmm. Like if it's my choice, and uh, it was, um, I like was so inspired by by those women. And so I was, and to be able to say that I bowled on the same team as them is, ah, uh, it's so amazing. And even like Kelly, Kelly was my first, um, it was the first time I ever saw a, an American woman win a medal, a, a, a gold medal at the 1999 world championships in Abu Dhabi. It was my first international tournament. And I learned there that I had a lot to learn, but I remember watching her on the on the top pedestal and I remember how I felt listening to the national anthem and that was like my first experience on that level and I, I remember thinking I want to feel what that feels like and so thanks to amazing competitors like Kelly um, I was able to and hopefully I, I did that for someone else yeah I mean they're inspirational I mean what Kelly's done I yeah. mean there's no more inspirational story you'll find in sports than no. you know, what she accomplished, you know, bowling and PBA events. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, you know, just the fact to, ha to have her on tour, I think is, is, you know, it's, it gives, you know, young, young girls, you know, someone to look up to for sure. It's, it's a huge win. And, and I think that what I can say about all those women on tour that I get to cross with, like, they're all so kind. And, and I think it's really important that people know that that even though you see somebody competing and they might look serious, they're most in the very, very vast majority of everybody on tour, I would go to dinner with. They are so kind and they take time out for their, for their fans and they turn around and they acknowledge them. And I just think it's, um, it's, I'm proud to be in that group of um, stand, stand up women. <laughs> Well, we definitely count you in that group. Thanks. Absolutely. Aaron, you got any other, other questions? I got a few more. You know, we talked about, you know, you mentioned getting to bowl with Lisa Wagner as a, as a young eight-year-old from Dyer, Indiana. And I'm from nearby Highland, Indiana. We're, we're region rats. <laughs> so, you know, obviously I, I always like to bring things back home if I can. So uh, for you growing up in Northwest Indiana, Rank your three favorite bowling centers. Ooh, that's pretty easy. Sardis Bowl 3 in Dyer, Indiana is where I learned how to bowl. I remember not being able to see over the counter. Like all yes, my all the, the counter people could see is my fingertips because I couldn't <laughs> even like get my head up there. And I just brought my lead tour back there. Um, I think it was January this year, which was a super crazy uh, like emotional event for me because looking at this bowling center, knowing like that's where my dreams were born and to be able to look at my youth tour and tell them that I was just like you, I was bowling tournaments just like this. This is where I spent every single night from nine 30 to midnight, every night, every school night. And that was, that was really cool. So Sardis bowl three, uh, I would say Plaza Lanes has a special place in my heart. That has to be close to where you live, right? That's in Highland. Very close. That was my home center. So wow. yeah, 
So I would bowl Saturday morning league at Stardust, and then I would go to Plaza oh, to bowl my double second shift. Saturday. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it was serious. Um, and I would say the third one, it, it was Stardust Bowl one. One, it's not there. It's not there anymore in Hammond. I don't think it has uh, closed closed down, unfortunately. Yeah, but um, if we weren't at Stardust three practicing every night, my sister and I with my dad. Uh, we were at SARS one because my coach, Dick Tucker lived in Hammond and would meet us there um, nightly. And Good. that, and that, uh, that kind of leads into a follow-up from that. And uh, you, you know, we've talked a lot about the dedication, you know, you talked about, you know, essentially having to be selfish to work your way up to the top, but you know, you have to have a great support system around you. And I, you kind of mentioned it there with, uh, with your dad, but I, I just know that's always a great story for folks to hear kind of, kind of those late nights trying to, you know, become the greatest bowler in the world, as you said, and those, those nine 30 to close shifts and stuff like that during the week. And you guys, uh, it was, it was actually absurd as a mom. Now I'm like, what were you thinking that my mom and dad let me bowl on a school night every night? And the reason why it was late, because I tell them, when I do my speaking or any events that I have, you know, I tell the story of, of what it was like when I was a kid and I'm not promoting late night bowling, but I, I am promoting practice and that you get out what you put in because m my life in middle school and high school, I would come home from school. My mom would make me take a two hour nap. I would get my homework done. My dad would come home, lay down for a little bit, have dinner. And we, we couldn't get a lane until the leagues were over. And the leagues ended at 930. So every single night from 930 to midnight. And then some nights we went to breakfast at a restaurant. <laughs> what? Why, why was that okay? I don't know. But that was just so normal when I was that age. It was so normal. So it wasn't weird. But now just like reflecting back to like if that was my kid, what, how would that make me feel? It's super weird. But I learned at a really young age that you do get out what you put in. You know, when I first started bowling, um, at five, it was fun. And I would, my sister is three years older than me. So she got into it, um, more serious than me earlier. And then I saw that she started winning things. And I was like, well, I want to win things <laughs> I see that she's putting in more work. She's practicing more. Maybe I'll practice more and I'll start winning some things. And, and so it was, I put in more time. I got more serious and about 12, I um, realized that I kind of could take it somewhere. And then I, I started developing my goals. Um, but my sister was influential when I was a kid to show me the way. And I'm so glad that I had her footsteps to fall into. And I, I really was known as Cassie's little sister for a lot of my childhood because she did it all. She won the Alberta Crow star tomorrow. And then I was like, I would like to win that. <laughs> so, yeah, and did. I did. And so, you know, do I get to all those places without someone that I'm looking up to? Maybe not. Um, but the finding moment in my life was when I decided what college to go to. And I could have gone to Wichita State University where Cassie was. And um, I, I love. Hi, Mike. My guy, Mike. I, um, I love this. Coach. Yeah. As long as I got up for school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's the same. As long as my grades were up and my, I always got good grades. So that well, wasn't, I didn't I would, want to influence my practice. But I would uh, imagine that if you didn't love it so much, they probably would have stopped taking you. Right? Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. And I, 
I think people thought that they forced us, but I never went if I didn't want to go. Yeah. And they just enabled us. Right. They, they were the reason why we could. But when I was choosing colleges, I could have went where my sister went for one year and bowled with her, or I could become Deandra. And, and so that's what I chose. I, I, I was like, okay, um, NCAA, they had just turned NCAA at Nebraska. Uh, I wouldn't be Cassie's little sister. Actually, my first year of college, we won the national amateur, or we won the national collegiate championship or team trial, or what are they, what are they call it, ITC? In our team championships. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's been a while, you guys. Um, <laughs> and um, we won, Nebraska won in Wichita. Wow. And that is, I think, where I that's where I became Deandra. That was um, a really big turning point in my career that um, I finally, I actually did something that my sister hadn't done. Oh, wow. Yeah. But um, my, my dad took us to practice. My mom made sure that, you know, we were good students and allowed my dad to take us. <laughs> and my sister was um, instrumental in, in having somebody to look up to. So my family, my grandma Betty got me started. She, she got me my first ball when I was five. She pinned a ladybug on my, my collar, my bowling collar, every time I bowled for good luck. And they, it's still on every jersey I have, a little ladybug. She was so inspiring to me as a kid. So um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had the family uh, and the upbringing that, that I've had. There we go. Northwest Indiana. Let's represent. We, we did it. <laughs> you know, we, I, I know I haven't ever been on this show before, but I know there is a custom that you guys would, would give your binge watch uh, uh recommendation oh man so i think we have to do that right oh man the usual final question yeah i would say i don't have enough time to watch tv but you know i'd be lying because i've been <laughs> home a lot <laughs> all right we love watching this is us but it hasn't been on so i haven't been binge watching it my husband and i are currently watching surviving escobar which uh, probably would surprise people. And also it's a lot of work because it's all in subtitles. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. So it's not super relaxing because I have to pay attention. You can't do anything else when you're watching that show, but it's amazing that there's, there's only one season, but it's like 60 episodes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they did that. Um, there are some guilty pleasures that I'm kind of embarrassed to even admit, but since we're friends, I feel like I should. Uh, so I binge watched. We lost time for a I, I will say that uh, all movies that did we you watch hear it? My, well, no, we didn't hear it. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Um, it's a little bit cringeworthy, but I'm going to I'm going to tell you because we're friends that I binge watched Love Is Blind. What's that? Oh God, it is it is like a train wreck. Like you you can't. It's horrible, but you just can't like look away, but you won't, I mean, you will not be into it. it. Love is blind where a whole bunch of people are in these pods and they can't see the person they're talking to. And they go on all of these like literally blind dates because they can't see the other person, but they get to know each other. It's kind of how my husband and I met through oh, wow. instant messenger. <laughs> okay. No. We never really saw each other, but we just communicated. Um, is it like a speed dating reality show or kind of? It... Yeah. Okay. But then um, it could lead to actually like marriages and um, it's, it, it is a reality do, show though. Yeah. It's on Netflix. You okay. do then see mm -hmm. 
um, they choose who they want based on their pod dates. And then they are together and then they go on vacation together and get to know each other in like physical form. And then um, it, yeah, it's train wreck, but I'm being honest. I've watched it. Okay. Don't judge me. Also, I'm not going to judge you because one of the binge watch uh, things that my kids have been watching is keeping up with the Kardashians. I don't know how I failed as a parent enough to allow that to to transpire under my house. Yeah. I really, my other guilty pleasure um, is The Bachelor. And I started watching The Bachelor when I was in college. And I think it's because it's so far from my life that I just like to live in that world for that two hours every week and forget about everything else in my life and just see what other people's lives and their problems are. <laughs> and it makes me feel better about my, my life. Okay. There you go. What, what are you guys watching? You have to answer it. Uh, again, I, I, I'm just trying to get my, my up to a hundred on that list of uh, all time okay. greatest movies. That's, that's really my binge watch, okay. but I, I don't really binge it. Like I don't have time to watch enough of them. Yeah. And so, and some of them are hard to get. Um, you know, some of them, like you have to order them on, on yeah. Amazon and, you know, it's hard to find. So anyway, that's, that's kind of mine. Uh, but I, I will reiterate keeping up with the Kardashians is on, <laughs> there's so many episodes and sometimes I'll just have to close the door of my office. Oh, so I, can't, I can't. Yeah. Cause I need my IQ to stay up so I can yeah. do my job. Wow. Right? You're getting, so, yeah. yeah, it's a struggle. <laughs> Aaron? JT, not, uh, not holding back there. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, my proudest accomplishment during quarantine is watching The Wire, which I shamefully oh, did yeah. not do well uh, when it was fresh in the 2000s. So uh, I've really enjoyed that. There's a new podcast out that like breaks down every episode uh, uh-huh. as well. So I've been checking that out. I actually bought a book over the weekend, which is awesome. scary, scary in its own right. That was like a telling of how it was made. So wait, tell me about it. The it's, like, it's, it's considered the greatest TV show ever made. Yeah. The, wire. the wire. Well, then why haven't I heard of it? Yeah, it. it well, it's kind of it's it, it's kind of a an artsy fartsy thing. I, I mean, like. Th- I'm into that. Right? So yeah, it's it's not your you. It, it's like documentary style, but it's 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 a it's a drama. Where do you find it? It's an HBO series. Oh, it is on Hulu though. Oh, okay. So. Well, I'm checking it out, Aaron, and then we can talk about it. There we go. Yes, it's uh, five seasons, but have enjoyed it very much. Got through it. Like I said, the podcast is coming up now. Uh, so, yeah, that's been that uh, guilty pleasure. That's cool. Uh, I'm rewatching the first season of Jersey Shore. So, oh, no. There we go. Oh, oh. I don't even, I have no words. <laughs> I think my hey, kids you know are going to watch that one next. Listen, when that show was out, I, um, I I got pregnant with Jersey and John and I had a, a serious conversation. I'm just like, do you think that I'm like, we, I, we really idea. wanted to name her Jersey, but do you think that people are just going to call her Jersey shore? Oh. Because that was like the most talked about show at the time. And I'm like, no, it, it has to die. Yeah, yeah it I, died hasn't it died? Hasn't yeah. it died? It's dead. It's, yeah. I mean, right? technically there's still versions of it going on. Like I, 
I really kind of got out of it after the early portions of it, but I, I think it, it kind of goes along the same line as as the Bachelor reference you made, Deandra. So it's I'm living in a world that I'm not used to or will never see probably. So I enjoy taking it in that way. That's right. That's right. You enjoy it. I will. <laughs> yeah, my ki my kids have no idea who Snooki is and who. Good. And I'm so glad for that. Yes. Good. <laughs> my husband and uh, Madden have been watching. Uh, they started watching lost for, I, I never watched. Oh lost. yeah. Yeah. That's but my favorite. That's my favorite they, TV show ever. Yeah. It's your favorite. Yeah. Ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's yeah the they started it's the, the beginning. best network TV show ever made. Yeah. They just yeah. finished it yesterday. And um, Madden told me today that they decided on their next show together. Cause every night they'll watch an episode together, which is yeah. super cute. And I think they're going to watch the good doctor. Have you guys seen that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah. Yeah. It's is it kid friendly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm might, I might not be the right person. I, 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 uh, I once showed my kids, um, uh, stand by me. Okay. I, I remember that being a good kids movie, right? Well, I'm it's, telling like, you. it's like all swearing. Listen, the movies that when I was a kid, like uncle buck, that yeah. was like PG. It's not PG. No, no. Or not. even the Sandlot Madden is so into baseball that, you know, when he was probably like six, I'm like, yeah, you could watch the Sandlot. Yeah. There's language in that. No, yeah. It's, it's just like Stand By Me. It's like, oh, that's a kid. That's a bunch of kids. It's a yeah. good kids movie. Yeah. And it's just like F this and S, S that. No, That's where I was like, look, you can watch this, but if I hear you say any of these words, you just can't watch things like this anymore. And he never did because he yeah. really wanted to watch. But like, can, can you shut the movie off? Like once you already started it? Can you go, oh, no, sorry, guys. They're into the movie now. I know. No, you can't. I, that's why I said you can watch this, but if you know bad words now. Yeah. So if you know it's a bad word and you choose to say it, then I'm going to have to change what you're watching. But <laughs> I've never had an issue with either of them, even Jersey at six. Like she knows bad words, but she's um, okay. Thanks. Hey, Josh. I haven't seen Josh in so long. <laughs> I hope you're doing good, buddy. But he didn't say if it was kid appropriate. I know. <laughs> I have to do a little Google search. <laughs> All right, I think with that, we're this might be a new podcast length record. Oh, sorry. So, uh, sorry, no. not. No, sorry. it was good. I was. It was great. It was probably my fault because I have all these tangents I want to talk about, but it was oh, fun. Okay. I, was I fun. appreciate you guys having me on. It was fun to chat with you and spill the beans of my life and uh, everything that I don't get to talk about very much. So, thanks. Well, good luck with everything you've got going on. Thank you. I uh, hope it's successful. If there's anything we can do to help, let us know. Thank you so much. Good yep. luck to you guys, too. You're doing a great job. Bowling's Thanks. lucky to have you. Thanks. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, we're trying to, we're trying to, <laughs> we're fighting over the remove button. Ah, oh, that was an awesome show, JT. Uh, very inspirational, as you know. When she, when Deandra's talking about uh, you know wanting to be able to go out into the corporate world and public world and and deliver these speeches, you can see why she would be so great at it. Uh, I can go back, you know, our ties into the North, Northwest Indiana. She gave a speech at the uh, Greater Calumet USBC uh, Hall of Fame banquet one year at the Dynasty Banquet right across from Olympia Lanes, and uh, you know, even even you know that was that was probably six seven years ago now. But even then, you know, you could see that she just had just had it. There's a certain yeah. thing you have to have to kind of have that presence. And 
she 100% has it. So for me, there was, there's a lot of sitting back and taking it in. It was super awesome. And uh, obviously we talked a lot. So that was yeah, yeah, good. yeah. No, I, I mean, for me, it was just, you know, she's had such an interesting career because, you know, she didn't have the tour to bowl. I mean, that got taken away from her just as she was ready to do it. And then she still became the most famous woman bowler in the world. And so to me, that, that just shows you, you know, what a, what a, uh, a successful person, you know, she is, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with her attitude. Um, you know, she gets it. She understands, you know, how the process works, how the process of becoming successful works. And, you know, it, it's nice to see her giving back and passing that on to, you know, the younger generation. You know, it's just the type of person you need to have, you know, if, if you're going to perpetuate this cycle of, of, of bowling continuing. So, you know, it's it, it, it was great to hear from her. Um, I, I look forward to the, the stuff she's going to do, and I still wouldn't put a pass her to win a title out on out on the tour. 100%. And I, I think one of the things that probably gets lost by some folks who may have gotten into the sport, uh, you know, seriously, obviously the PWBA tour coming back in 2015 brought a lot of light on the women's game once again, as it, as it rightly should be. Uh, but I, I think there's probably quite a few folks out there who didn't quite realize the superstar that Deandra was as part of Team USA uh, for the early portion of the 2000s. Uh, she was on the team for 15 years, I believe. Uh, you know, basically won the medals, gold, and yeah. every conceivable event, World Cup champion, uh, World Championships. But, but yes, it, it was super awesome show. And, you know, we're, we're going to keep the Cornhusker thing going uh, later in the week. Our 2019 PWBA Tour Rookie of the Year, Valerie Bersier, is going to be uh, joining us on Wednesday. I know we talked about the PBA League offering two new PWBA teams. There's going to be some uh, stuff on PWBA.com coming up in a little bit later today. Uh, the draft's tomorrow. We're going to have some follow-ups on that. And you know what, folks? Maybe even look out for an extra edition of the podcast, too. So, uh, JT, we've hit an hour 40. Yeah, it's a new record. I need something to drink, so I'm going to go ahead and... <laughs> Call it a day here, but big thanks to everyone for joining us once again here on BullTV.com, uh, YouTube, the Bull TV YouTube channel, uh, PWBA Facebook, USBC Facebook. Uh, so for Jason Thomas, I'm Aaron Smith. For our special guest today, Deandra S. Beatty, big thank you to all. And uh, yeah, we'll see you Wednesday. Take care, everybody. <laughs>